Welcome to Changemakers, a podcast from APH. We're talking to people from around the world who are creating positive change in the lives of people who are blind or visually impaired. Here's your host. Hello and welcome to Changemakers. I'm APH's Public Relations Manager, Sarah Brown, and today we are previewing the upcoming 2021 National Coding Symposium. The virtual free event will take place Tuesday, May 11th through Friday, May 14th. We'll learn why this event is so important and what participants can expect during the event. After that, we'll check in with Partners with Paul. To tell us more about the Coding Symposium, we have APH's Connect Center Director, Alayalanda Villard, Director of the California Education Resource Center for the California School for the Blind, Adrian Amandi, and Low Vision Clinic and Classroom Coordinator, Vanessa Herden. Hello, Alaya, Adrian, and Vanessa, and welcome to Changemakers. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you, okay. Sarah, for having us. Great, so for the first question, can somebody tell us what is the coding symposium? Just give us an overview as to what it is. I think it, well, the coding symposium is really a chance for students um, who are blind or visually impaired or who, who don't have a visual impairment um, to hear from individuals who are blind, visually impaired, and those who are not um, about their jobs and careers in the IT field. Um, Students will learn how these successful individuals navigated their way through school, through searching for jobs, what they did when they landed their jobs, and how they maintain their employment. I think I think you're getting it right on the head. We're really about motivating these kids who are considering this career path and getting them excited and making them aware that the door is open to them. And it might be challenging uh, to get excited about it. It might be challenging to learn code, but um, there, others have done it before them, and we want to share those success stories with them and let them know the pathway to success themselves. I do also want to say that it, it can also be for TVIs. We want to kind of demystify coding for TVIs and show that just like any subject, you know, a TVI can take something inaccessible and make it accessible um, and, and show how that's been done um, and, and kind of reinvigorate the importance of that for TVIs. Parents too, right? This is a good career path. So parents oh, yes. learning about <laughs> the options and opportunities is a positive positive space to come visit and learn more about it at this year's symposium. Absolutely. Good. Now, who is this geared to and why, why that age? Uh, well, the targeted audience for, for this coding symposium are students who are blind or visually impaired ages uh, 11 to 17 who are interested in STEM careers. Um, and that's typically, the, the age range is important because that's when we want our students to really be starting to focus on or think about what they're gonna wanna do when they, when they get out of school. Um, because then they wanna start, we wanna start training them and getting them interested and learning about that particular field so that they're not just getting ready for it at 17 or 18 when they, you know, 19, 20, when they're getting ready to move on to either a job or job training or college. So it, it's a really critical time in their, um, in their lives for us to get in there and catch them early um, and get them started on that path. Isn't that true? And I think, uh, I mean, Vanessa has such direct teaching experience recently, and I think um, it sure is working with her obvious to know that coding, getting into coding and opening up uh, those opportunities in your mind 
um, take a reflection and responsibility that you have to be really into your computer. You have to really know the technology, whether you're using a Windows or a Mac or iOS, you have to know your screen access software, your screen readers and your screen magnifiers, and you have to do a deep dive into your regular computer usage if you're going to consider this as an employment track. And this is a great opportunity to hit them early in high school and middle school and make these kids recognize, yeah, that is an exciting career path. I've got to step up my game a little bit. I've got to I've got to quit just responding and quit answering homework only. And I've got to get more engaged with my tech itself. Okay. Now tell us, you just mentioned getting familiar with the operating systems and screen readers. Tell me why is coding so important for students? Yeah, you know, I think that there are an endless amount of reasons like I could go on, but I, I want to try and stick to three. Um, and one is that coding has, and computer science has become basically part of literacy as technology enters our lives. It's becoming more like a standard. Another is that it has several ties to curriculum and student learning goals. And third and most important maybe is that, especially for blind and visually impaired students, it can be empowering. It can make them advocates of accessibility as we move to a more tech-based world. And I do wanna expand on those three points. So. When I talk about uh, coding as basic literacy, like we know that coding is the language of computers, right? Like a set of instructions that a computer understands in order to perform a task. And this can be really simple to the most complex thing, but the most important thing to note here is that it permeates our day-to-day -day lives and is a part of almost every industry. We use it all the time. So coding, or at least understanding code, is becoming more and more and more a part of our lives and a basic necessity. Um, just to understand what the things we're interacting with, how they're working. Another one, I also mentioned that coding has several ties to learning development goals. Um, so I think coding can be kind of intimidating when we think about it as these incredible algorithms that like geniuses come up with, right? Um, but it's really based in finding a problem and breaking down the steps to solve it. It's a relatively simple skill, but it can also touch on so much. Like it's a great way for students to develop their logic or from the very basic, basic um, coding concepts can teach cause and effect or sequencing or counting. Um, it can be a way for students to experiment, to work together, to make friends, to like meet failures and like try again. Um, it can also be a really fun way to, to trick kids into like reinforcing their braille skills because there's a lot of editing that goes into it. You know, like you might have to debug a code and in pages of braille or pages of like listening to your voiceover screen reader need to find that one quotation mark that's out of place. So I think that it can reinforce a lot. It can be really simple and it can be really complicated, but you can use it to reinforce a lot of concepts in student learning. But finally, and maybe what I'm most excited about um, is that it's more like a call to action for TVIs because the impact that this can have on student lives is huge. Students who are blind and visually impaired need to learn how to code just like everybody else, of course, but it's important to understand that code is text-based and therefore it's inherently accessible. It's just the format that it's being taught in. It's the user interface of apps, it's the web pages and the drag and drop content that's not accessible, but just like any subject, 
a TVI without being an expert can adapt those course materials. And um, since these students are users of assistive technology and rely on these things to access information in the world, understanding the technology they're interacting with, like why a screen reader is working or why CPU matters when they're running their accessibility softwares. This can make them better users of their own AT. They can become better advocates for themselves and for accessibility by developing this knowledge. And um, they can evaluate shortcomings of technology whether it be their assistive tech, software programs, websites, or apps, they'll have the language to provide valuable and not only valuable, but actionable feedback to developers and people creating content for them. The, field, the area of computer science and coding, is that an area that has room to grow? Yeah, I mean, I think most people have observed like an exponential increase in the amount of tech in our daily lives. I heard this crazy thing um, the other day and I, I um, I don't know like the exact calculation, but like basically the iPhone in your pocket or the Android in your pocket or in your purse, the amount of calculations that can do is millions of times more powerful than like what they use to get Apollo 11 to the moon. Like <laughs> technology is like everywhere and it's growing all the time and it's super powerful. Um, but I think that also goes to show that it's not just technology companies or NASA using technology. Like we have access to this everywhere and it's developing rapidly. Um, there was a statistic um, published by the Bureau of Labor Statistics in 2020 stating that employment of computer and information research scientists is projected to grow 15% between 2019 and 2029 much faster than the average for all occupations. Um, also, this is kind of an old statistic, so I'm sure that it's a lot more now, but in 2016, they found that an average for the last like five years was 20% um, more students per year were taking computer science exams. So like between 2015 and 2016, there was a jump 20%. Um, and that was on top of the jump between 2014 and 2015. So yeah, I mean, it's expected to grow and these statistic points are really specifically for computer science, but uh, I mean, I think it's increasingly difficult to draw the line between computer science principles and other sectors of industry. Computer science isn't just growing as a singular industry, right? Like it's also becoming more and more enmeshed and relevant in our daily lives. So if you wanna be like a doctor or a musician or a race car tech, like, these industries have all been turned upside down by software. So it's becoming, yeah, it's expanding, like not only in itself, but also like permeating everything we're doing. Very, very, very true. Okay, so Aliyah, Vanessa, and Adrian, what can participants expect during the course of this event? Can you give us just an overview or just an idea of what the different groups attendees will interact with? Well, I mean, I can just say real quick, like a quick overview, and then I'll leave it to Vanessa and Adrian to get a little more detailed and give you more of the, you know, specifics. But overall, um, you know, there will be panels that include professionals, educators, advocates, and others who are blind, uh, visually impaired, or sighted. So that is it's like the kind of the overview that there will be those individuals there to, you know, motivate, provide information um, to those attending. But then. Vanessa 
Vanessa and Adrian probably have um, more of the detailed um, list of what all is going to be going on. Yeah, I think uh, thank you, Alaya, for the mm -hmm. for the quick overview. I think we one of the things we did in putting this together is recognize that this is a school year activity with classes going on. And so when we're trying to attract school age kids, we are trying to respect their schedule. And so we have a Tuesday through Friday format that we're excited that kids will be able to engage with and participate in all aspects of what we're offering throughout the week. Um, and I think most of all, our goal is that we, we think that a student attending is going to be inspired. We think they're going to um, have this access of professionals, as Elias said, currently working in this field. And they're going to be relatable. We've taken a lot of care to pick uh, professionals that are inspiring uh, on a on a variety of ways. We think we have a diverse group of people uh, in our panels and in our keynotes and our presentations um, that shed a wide variety of experiences that our kids can relate to and be inspired by. Um, specifically, uh, each day we'll have two sessions. Um, we'll have uh, it depends on if you're a West Coaster or an East Coaster, but we'll have an AM PM session for the West Coasters. Um, and for our East Coast time frame, we'll have an uh, after lunch and after school uh, session. Um, and we'll kick off each one of those with an inspirational keynote. Um, and those keynote speakers uh, have done something fantastic with their life and career path. Um, and they're going to share with us some of what they have uh, made it through, some of the challenges they've overcome. Um, and they're going to try to gear up our excitement to want to want to be in this space. Um, and then we actually have a, a set of eight presentations following those keynotes, and they'll be in each uh, in each block of, of presentation. Um, and those presentations uh, don't have to be accessed in a row. They don't have to be accessed one through eight, um, but they are designed to give a little bit of a footing and education to this space and to really be able to be utilized by TVIs and students um, during the symposium or, or beyond it um, as an educational space to learn more about the coding field and learn more about why coding is accessible and how to overcome um, some of the challenges. And then as Alaya said, we have the specific panels. Um, our panel specifically are programmers. Um, a panel of, uh, we're calling them non-programmers, but people who work with coders but do not necessarily code themselves. Uh, it's a hard, uh, hard to put a title on that group, but um, we also have hiring managers. Uh, we want to try to demystify some of these uh, ideas that circulate around us in California, Silicon Valley, of what does it take to get one of these jobs? What, uh, what do you need to do? What does your resume need to look like? What does your skill set need to look like? Um, we're going to have transition and career centers uh, present during the symposium. So we're going to have agencies that work with blind and uh, visually impaired students beyond the school age um, and during the school age. And they're going to talk about some of the resources that they bring to the table and some of the strategies that they have for students advancing and looking for careers. Um, we also have a panel of university uh, leads and teachers. Um, we definitely recognize that the more coding and software permeate society, as Vanessa was mentioning earlier, that colleges are taking the responsibility and making sure our students uh, further develop their skills and um, advance programming and software. And so we're going to hear directly from universities that have taken very seriously the involvement of blind and low vision kids 
and make sure that universal design and accessibility are part of their programs. Um, and, and talk to students who might not be going to their universities too. Uh, talk to students about what, what skills and tricks they've done that can work at any, any college or space. Um, and finally, we're going to have a panel of entrepreneurs, um, people who have really taken the lead and saying, hey, you know what I can do with code? I can, I can create a business. I can create a new app. I can create a new space. Um, and this is, this is what we're, we're excited about is this, um, all of these are going to encourage our kids to create change and be change makers themselves. Now, I understand there's going to be a question and answer session. Why is it so important for students to get that opportunity to ask panelists questions? Yeah, we're working on on the Friday of the session. The last day of the symposium is going to be direct access to uh, some of our panelists, keynotes, and presenters. Um, and uh, we we're going to set this up so that our student participants um, have the opportunity to ask a direct question from their mind to a panelist. And we uh, we're doing this for a variety of reasons. One, to make it tangible and make these successful professionals uh, very, very right there, accessible and tangible to our students. Um, but we're also respecting that uh, these kids attending this symposium, these students uh, attending the symposium, um, they're the leaders of tomorrow um, that are currently, right now, effective um, and impactful thinkers. Uh, we recognize and respect that, um, and we want to give them this opportunity uh, to make a difference just with their questions. Um, it's not just important for our students to have the opportunity to ask the question so that they can be inspired and get their answer, uh, but it's really important that our panelists that are the leaders right now in, in many coding fields and coding spaces hear these questions that our students will ask. Um, in any field, uh, especially working with blind and visually impaired kids, we who are currently working in the field need to hear the aspirations and the questions that come from our students so that we can change and direct the, the way that we present uh, our programs, um, the way that we can present uh, our successes and, and change in this particular space. Sometimes we're going to have entrepreneurs and coders themselves that are going to hear a question and say, hey, you know what? Uh, we need to we need to adapt. We need to rethink the way we code. We need to rethink the way we think about accessibility. Um, for those of us who are educators, we need to rethink the way we we teach um, and plan our programs. I think the Q and A not only is going to be impactful for students, but I think it's going to be eye opening for teachers and parents alike um, to be able to really see where our kids are coming from. There are plenty of people with visual impairments who have secured employment with coding or computer science. Can you tell me more about the opportunities that are out there that you want listeners to know? Vanessa commented in, in the first question she answered so well that um, you don't have to be a programmer for coding to benefit your career choice and your path. Uh, software has permeated almost every single job anymore. Um, and it's not just working with that software uh, on the back end and being able to change it or input data into it. It's understanding what's in front of the screen, period. It's just engaging with a website or engaging with a new software that you have to input into. Um, and knowing what that software is up to and what the person who created that piece of software and technology was intending 
is going to make you a better user of that software. Um, and I think our kids kind of have the leg up on their sighted companions because they're using screen readers and screen magnifiers, and they they have to have a thorough comprehension of how the system works. They have to really understand how to navigate the menus, uh, to navigate and control where the cursor moves on a screen and how it engages and interacts. They're starting with a leg up. When they, when they learn how to code on top of that, they're able to put themselves into the head of the person who made the app, who made the software program, who made the website. And I think that knowledge and experience coupled with the uh, expertise of being a screen access user, whether it's a magnifier or a reader, um, I think what we're doing is we're, um, we're just, we're making this opportunity expand well beyond coding and programming and saying this knowledge set that you're going to have coming out as a blind or low vision high schooler into the job field or college student into the job market um, is you're going to be successful working with technology. You're going to be able to utilize your screen in a way different than your peers, and you're going to be able to have a discussion on the back end uh, also with people who've created these software tools. Um, I think that you can, you did hit the nail on the head, head there, Adrian. Like it's not just that you know, learning to code or being interested in coding lends an opportunity, like a specific opportunity. Um, I think that it's a it can be a general skill that opens up more opportunities, you know, just because you can maybe even understand the use of your own screen reader better and become a better like problem solver when you're trying to access a website, et cetera. Like you can become more efficient um, in your own right and, and using assistive technology just as a tool. And you can also generalize that skill into more areas of technology, whether it be like Adrian said to like have a window into how developers and systems work or just um, be a, a fluent tech user. Um, those types of things open a lot of doors for students. Isn't that true? And our students learning more about coding can really start to change what accessibility means. Accessibility does not always translate to usability. Uh, and we see this again and again in the school space. We hear about a new product and it's completely accessible. We hear about some new website that got made completely accessible. And we put our students on it and we're like, holy cow, it's time to bust out a how-to guide. Let us spend the next two and a half weeks writing out a how-to guide so we can teach our student how to step-by-step -step use this quote-unquote accessible piece of software or website. And I think as we get our students to become leaders in this space, and, and I mean the space, not just accessibility, but technology as a whole, software and, and programming, uh, when our students become more leads in this space, I think we're going to see websites become more usable to screen reader uh, and screen magnifier users. And with that in place, I think we see time and time again that websites and programs become more usable for everybody. I do. I want to jump on that actually, because what you said about like accessibility versus usability is so important. Um, and in terms of design and usability, having our students be in the room when that's happening. Like you look at somebody like Steve Jobs, whose whole idea is to create something that's like plug and play, easy to use, intuitive to use for the for that that person. 
And you know, these developers are creating with an idea of the general user in mind. And the general user is not often most users. And the general user is not often a blind user. So to be in that room when they're like, how do we make this really, really impactful to the world? Like all of the accessibility features that would benefit a blind or visually impaired person can also benefit the general public. But how do you, how do you not just make those available? How do you make them useful? Um, so I think that's really exciting. Okay, so this event, it is done in partnership with the California School for the Blind. Aliyah, how has it been working with them? Well, the coding symposium, you know, made possible by support from Fox Family Foundation. Uh, it's also sponsored by the Connect Center, specifically Career Connect. Um, it's been great working with everyone um, at the California School for the Blind um, and, and just the, the collaboration that we all, um, you know, that we're all involved in, uh, working with such skilled individuals. Vanessa is so knowledgeable and just knows her stuff. Uh, I've worked with Adrian in the past. And so, you know, it's just like working with old friends is awesome to do. Um, and so, yeah, it, it has been really a, a, an awesome really positive experience. And I think that'll come across um, when we are actually involved in, in putting on the coding symposium. I think you'll see that dynamic work out. It, 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 it is just exciting and, and I love collaborating. I love working with people because again, one person can't know everything, but being a part of the Connect Center and working with CSB, um, I think it, it's, it's a really powerful partnership in a lot of ways, because we look to CSB in the field itself. We look to CSB for a lot of our um, guidance and what we're doing with our with our kiddos and helping prepare them. And um, you know, California School for the Blind, in in so many ways, is is a leader um, in our field. I think I think what one of the neat things about working with APH as a state school for the blind is yes, we take advantage of the fact we're next to the Silicon Valley, but I don't think that's what motivates our tech lab to get excited about tech. I think it's recognizing and having it near to us that inspires us to level the playing field as often as possible with as much technology as possible. Um, utilizing uh, APH as the American Printing House for the Blind and this national presence allows us to share some of what we are able to engage with in a different way than other schools for the blind and other states. And we are thrilled to be able to share that content out nationally. Um, and as as agencies, as a school for the blind and a and another public agency in, in APH, um, we are so gifted by the Fox Foundation of being able to give this money to us to get this project off the ground. Because um, it's really hard for our agencies to put together big events like this without that additional funding. So I'm appreciative all the way around. Uh, from how we got this from an idea a few years ago uh, through coronavirus and the pandemic um, to a different format. We're no longer at an in-person event we thought we were going to host, but uh, I'm just real thankful that we're able to bring this out on a national level. So is it too late to sign up and where can listeners go for more information? Well, um, registration is free and will remain open throughout the event. So no, it's you know, not too late. Um, you can register online through the APH Connect Center website. Um, there is a web page with all the symposium information, such as agenda, speakers, and registration at aphconnectcenter.org uh, backslash coding. 
and we've set up this symposium so that you can join at any time. You're not missing out content if you register on the last day. We still think it'll be an empowering experience for uh, students. And if your schedule is such that you can only join for one part of the coding symposium, we still strongly encourage you to attend. Uh, we think that that moment will be impactful and we have it designed so that you're, you're able to join in any fashion. And we will include links to registration and more information for the coding symposium in the show notes. So please be sure to take a look and, and register today. Alaya, Vanessa, Adrian, is there anything else you want listeners to know? I think from, from my end, from the Connect Center end, um, I just would like to you know reiterate to be sure to visit the APH Connect Center and Career Connect. Um, not only to register and get more information about the coding symposium, but for information and guidance about careers, jobs, watch videos made by and about people who are successful in all kinds of different jobs and career fields who are also blind or visually impaired. Um, learn about programs that you can participate in to help you prepare for life after high school, whether it be a job, vocational training, or college. And so, um, you know, beyond the, the coding symposium, uh, you know, the APH Career Connect has so much uh, information to offer. Yeah, I, I did want to say that, like, you know, I think that it can be kind of a an intimidating subject sometimes for for students, for teachers, for parents, you know, um, I'll say for myself, like I didn't get into teaching students with visual impairments because I wanted to be in computer science, like by any means, never took a computer science class in my life. But I would say that it, it can be really simple and it can be really complicated, but there are many ways to jump in. And I encourage everybody to just check it out because it might not be what you think it is. It might be more than you think it is. It might be less, but um, I think that there's something there for everybody. I agree. And I want to echo that coding can be easy. It can be something we can set up and design ahead of time for a student. We can create a lesson that's pretty straightforward and will give them a tangible reward and success depending on the code we choose. Um, but what excites me most about coding is that it can be really hard. And it can be hard in the most uh, uncanny ways. It can be a simple, a simple thing that you did incorrectly that causes it not to work the way you anticipated. There's a lot of problem solving in coding. And I think that teachers, if you wrap your head around that initial bump in the road of difficulty of learning it, and if you learn the basics of coding, you'll discover that a lesson about coding hits a lot of the aspects of what we're trying to do in, in educating our students um, and teach them to become problem solvers. And we can use this space, not just to beef up their technology skills and increase their in excitement about programming, but we can use coding as a pure lesson in teaching problem solving um, and, that, uh, and teach our students that um, we've got to overcome tough moments. We've got to overcome difficulties and challenges. Um, and coding is an opportunity where when you do overcome something that was hard, you get a very concrete success moment. You get a, yep, now it works. Um, and that, that's exciting and, it, and it, makes, it gives you a payoff for the difficulty you encountered. And we're hoping to encourage more of those moments through this symposium. And one, th one other really big thing is we'd really like to thank the um, Fox Family Foundation for helping make the coding symposium possible. Um, it, we, it, we really couldn't have done it without their support. So thank you very much. 
Okay, Alaya, Vanessa, and Adrian, thank you all so much for joining me today on Changemakers. Thank, thank you. For you. Thank all you. Right, for it sounds us like there. it's going to be a great event. Now let's check in with Partners with Paul. Thanks, Sarah. It's great to be back with another episode of Partners with Paul, and I'm delighted to have with me today Diego Mendoza, Head of Commercialization from SUNU. How are you, Diego? Thank you, Paul. I'm doing excellent. Beautiful day. I hope that you are, that you're doing excellent as well. The SUNU Band is a product we sell, a non-quota product. The price is $299. Diego, can you tell us a little bit about what the SUNU band is? Absolutely. Yes, thank you. So in a nutshell, I would say that the SUNU band is a sonar sensing bracelet that allows people with visual impairments to detect obstacles and their surroundings. So you have, let's say, a camera on your car, and the closer you get to another car, the more it beeps, right? Well, with the SUNU band, you get that experience, but with vibrations on your wrist, meaning the more you, the closer you get to an object, the more it'll vibrate. That's great, but there's also an app that goes along with it. Can you tell us about that app and whether or not you can use it just with the band or if it has some independent functions as well? Yes, of course. The band and the app are both independent from each other, but we're of course working towards a very um, interesting and a very useful conjunction there. So the app is a navigation app, is a fully inclusive navigation app. We connect to Google Maps. So of course, everything that you see listed on Google Maps will be listed on the, on the Sunu app. And the Sunu app allows you of course, to explore places around you within a walkable distance. And the best part is you have full understanding of what's surround you. So there are very interesting features that uh, we can we can talk about more in, in detail in a few moments, but uh, that's what the Sunu Band and the Sunu app is, uh, both independent, but also they work in conjunction with each other. It's great to hear that they work together, but they also have their own independent functions. Now, I understand that there are some new updates to the app. Can you tell us about those? Absolutely. One of the newest features and updates. Uh, first, I would like to mention the My Sunu Band tab. And that tab basically allows you to control everything from that uh, tab, of course. Uh, anything from customizing the range of the band, uh, personalizing the experience as far as uh, new features or um, old features. So you can customize everything and you can set up the levels of detection that you that you want to get. So that's one part on the on this on the my Sunu band. But you also have independent features such as the street pointer, which as as, as the name says, you take your phone out or you take your Sunu band and you point it into any direction and it's going to give you a list of streets, um, of course, listed by distance. So the, the, the nearest street that, that you're pointing at is going to be all the way to the top. Let's say you're pointing at Main Street and now you move a little to the left and now you're pointing at Second Street. The Sunu app will be listing those streets 
uh, again, by distance, that's one of the features. We also have a place pointer. So just like the street pointer works, the place pointer will tell you exactly the places that you're pointing at. Let's say that you're in a crowded place, I don't know, an airport or a shopping mall, for example, and you want to know where the ATM is or where the cafe is, you simply point your hand or your Sunu band in, I'm sorry, your hand or your band in any direction, and you will get that feedback, again, listed by distance and exactly what you are pointing at. Those are some of the newest features. And uh, finally, Diego, there are some new features that are just come out. Can you tell us about those? Absolutely. One of the most appealing features, and that is basically upgrading and doing a lot of updates as far as the obstacle detection part is the Sonar 2.0. So this feature is taking the obstacle detection of the Sunu band and adding a bunch of steroids to it. <laughs> so with the obstacle detection, you know that there's something or that you are detecting the presence of something. But with the Sonar 2.0, you will now be able to understand the difference between a wall or a person, a car, uh, a tree branch, for example. So you're basically leveling up with the Sonar features. Uh, this is of course for more advanced users, but this has, so far this has been receiving a lot of good feedback. And you'll find this on the app? Yes, the app, let's remember that both the app and the band are periodically upgraded. So as, as long as you have the band connected to the app, and of course the app is up, um, updated from the app store, you will always get the newest features, the newest firmware or software version of the Sunu band. And, and that's how you will get it, yes. All right, so it sounds like a lot of great things coming up. Thank you very much for joining us today, Diego. Thank you for having me, Paul. The Sunu Band is available for $299 from APH. Check the show notes. We're going to provide the link to the Sunu product page. If you want to order it, you can do so from that page, or you can contact APH customer service. Now back to you, Sarah. Thanks so much, Paul. And just a reminder, we'll put in the show notes the link to register and more information about the coding symposium. Thank you very much for joining me today on Changemakers. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Be sure to look for ways you can be a changemaker this week.